0: $740 million. Uh, this past week, uh, Ivanka Trump was in the headlines again. If you don't know who she is, then she's the daughter of President U.S. President Donald Trump. And she was in the headlines this week because uh, of her conflict of interest between her business endeavors, and now she's a federal employee uh, as a personal assistant to her father. And in the midst of that, what was disclosed uh, was her personal worth. And so her and her husband put together are worth purportedly seven hundred forty million dollars. Now, this estimated worth, if I read all the articles correctly, it's an inheritance. They are beneficiaries to this astronomical, uh, otherworldly amount of money. Now, here's my point. I want you to imagine that you are born into this kind of wealth that you are born into this kind of status, but also imagine that you are not aware of this inheritance. You are not aware of the privileges that you have because of your identity, and you don't live and enjoy the the blessings, the power, the privileges that come part and parcel with this massive uh, real estate and, and business empire. Now, what I've just described to you, actually, in some sense, is the Christian life. First, to address my Christian friends here. Do you know this morning, again, who your Father in Heaven is? Do you know in your heart of hearts who your elder brother, Jesus, the Savior and Lord of your life is? And do you remember this morning that If you have trusted Christ, if you know you are a child of of God in Christ, then He has deposited His Holy Spirit in you as a guarantee of your inheritance. And for you and me, as Christ followers today, the resurrection, the resurrection is your inheritance. The resurrection is your inheritance. To my friend here today that is still investigating, still searching, that doesn't have this, I want to ask, doesn't this immeasurable inheritance worth $740 million infinite times over, you can't even compare this resurrection inheritance to any monetary amount on this earth, doesn't this gospel-proclaimed immeasurable inheritance intrigue you at all? I hope it does. And so today's bottom line is this. This is what I hope you'll see with me in in Paul's uh, first 11 verses of chapter 15. Believe in, believe in, and be living in Jesus' resurrection daily. Daily. I really want you to, to focus especially on daily today. We're beginning a three-week mini-series as we're in our, our larger series, Real Church. Just the gospel, creating a, a real gospel uh, community out of messy people, the Corinthians. They were very messy in their lives. And we're jumping. Uh, Russ did a great job last week touching on um, chapter 8. And we're jumping to chapter 15 because we wanted to focus on chapter 15 where Paul explains in depth the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what it's meant to mean for you and me in our daily lives and, and the hope that it gives us. and we're going to spend three weeks in it, because it's 58 verses. And so today Paul explains, and in fact, it's, it's almost like he's giving steps to what it looks like to believe in and believing in Jesus's, uh, be living in Jesus' resurrection daily. And so especially if your personality today is the type that appreciates instructions and you appreciate, just just tell me the steps, Albert, and I'll do my best to follow them. Paul gives four steps today. So here's our roadmap for today. And it comes from uh, verses 1 and 2. And so in verse 1, he begins, Now I would remind you. I would remind you of the gospel. That's the first step, to be reminded daily of Jesus' resurrection. The second step is, which you received. We need to receive daily into our souls, our thoughts, our affections, our will, Jesus' resurrection. And then third, Paul says, this gospel that you've not only received that I'm reminding you of, but in which you stand. And I know some of you, are, are, you appreciate uh, alliterations here and you got tickled by it. So, so we're, we've got all our words for you today. Okay? And so root yourself. Root yourself in Jesus and His resurrection daily. And fourth, Paul says, this Gospel that in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preach to you. And there, he doesn't use this Word, but the idea there is that we need to repent daily in response to Jesus and His res- resurrection. So that's the road map. But what's the destination? And the the better question is, who is the destination? Every week here at Trinity Grace Church, when we come to worship, our destination is Jesus. To have our eyes gazing with faith upon His face. To be found in His arms. And to be looking with faith upon Him crucified and risen. So let's dive into the text. Paul begins by saying, now I would remind you. He says that in verse 1. And we see Him explain that expound that in verses three to four and he wants us to be reminded daily of jesus's resurrection And so in verse 3 he says for I delivered to you of first importance Notice first that he says I delivered to you. He's reminding them that they heard something And not only that Paul goes on to say that he himself It was something that he also received Paul heard The gospel as well. He had to receive it. He had to hear it and be reminded as well. And so remember what God spoke to you, what you heard. Following Jesus always begins with hearing the gospel. And then when we hear it, we need to be reminded of it daily. That's right. Then second, notice that Paul describes the gospel that was delivered to him, to the Corinthian Christians and to us today, that he says it's of first importance. The gospel is the beginning and the end. Be wary of preachers and, and churches and books and, and shows or whatever that, that tell you what to do and not what not to do, but don't give you the good news. Because that will just lead to... Uh, you feeling guilty and beaten down because you're not measuring up to the standards. Beware of a gospel of churches and preachers that that don't preach the good news, which is of first importance. And so Paul, he reminds us here of what is exactly this gospel that he received, that the Corinthians received, that you and I received to this day. And so he goes on to explain that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, most Christians remember this part. And we focus a lot on the cross. And that is all well. But when we only focus on the cross, that leads to a guilt-driven faith. That leads to even a shame-based faith. And where we feel like we owe God for the love that He's shown us. There's so much more to the Gospel. And that's why Paul says, part and parcel, not only that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the Scriptures, but that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He was raised. The resurrection is just as much equally, 100% the Gospel as well. Just do a quick inventory. Try to think back to your every day, and when you think of Jesus and your faith and following Jesus and the Gospel, how do you define it? I would not be surprised that most of us, we only equate the Gospel to Jesus' death. But what Paul is reminding us of here, what he wants us to be reminded of daily, is that Jesus has risen as well. And there is an immense victory to our lives as Christ followers that is supposed to go equally hand in hand with kneeling before the cross where Jesus has been crucified for our sins. The Gospel is both Christ on the cross and walking out of the empty tomb. So for those of you who love grammar, notice then here that Paul says, now I would remind you. And that word, remind, he's speaking in the present. He's saying this is a reminder that needs to go on every day continually. And so that means for you and me today as well that we need to be reminded daily, ongoingly in the present. And so the Gospel, both Jesus' death and today now for this three-week series, I want to especially emphasize His resurrection. That it needs to be like a pair of contacts, a pair of glasses that you put on every day and you look out onto your life through the lens that Jesus is alive and He is doing a resurrecting work in my life as well. So why do we need to be reminded daily? Because there's a principle that We are the little things we repeatedly do every day. We reap what we sow. That's a biblical principle. And if we're going to be gospel-saturated followers of Christ, then we need to be immersed in Jesus, His death, His resurrection, His forgiveness, our identity in Him, our destiny in Him, and His mission for us every day, and every ounce of our consciousness. We need to be saturated. That's why we need to be reminded daily. And two, if you're like me, and my wife can attest to this, simply, I forget easily. I forget lots of things easily. And so we need to be reminded daily. So let me bring it down to earth for, for all of us here. Here's a rhetorical question, self-reflective question. What, what occupies your thoughts and emotions the most? Here's the answer. It, it's basically the totem pole of your affections. The, the pecking order of your emotional attachments. That, that's what's going to occupy you the most. This morning, I, I woke up anxious for some reason. My, my counselor thinks, she asked me, do you have performance anxiety when you go to preach at church? And maybe I do. Maybe I need to, to be honest about that. But when those anxieties come up, I need to be honest. Then Jesus isn't. And His victory, His resurrection is not at the top of my totem pole of my affections, my emotional attachments. And, and maybe I'm more attached to what people will think of me. And, and so apply that to your life, whatever it is, is your pecking order of emotional attachments. Here's the point. Keep Jesus and His gospel of grace. And today, we're emphasizing His resurrection. Keep the fact that He is alive and you're called to believe in and be living in His resurrection. And He's doing a work of bringing dead things to life in your life as well. Keep that at the top of your emotional attachments, what you fixate your thoughts and affections on. Second, Paul not only says that we need to be reminded daily, but he says, "Receive, receive this truth of Jesus' resurrection daily." Again, in verse one, he said um, that he said this gospel that you have received. I remind you of this gospel that you've received. And so they not only heard it, and it it didn't enter their thoughts and stay there, but it began to move down into the place of of their heart and their emotions, their affections. And they began to receive it. And we see this. He expounds on this in verses 5 to 8. In verses 5 to 8, Paul gives an authoritative list of eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. And so he goes on to say in verse 5, That Jesus appeared to uh, Kepha, which is the Aramaic form of Peter. So he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And that's Paul's term, fallen asleep, for people who have passed away. Then he appeared to James Then to all the apostles, last of all, as one to untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now first, as a quick aside, to bolster your faith today, Christ's follower. And and for my friends here who are still investigating Jesus, would you receive this evidence that Paul is putting forward? Paul gives this absolutely authoritative and encouraging list of witnesses to the risen Christ. Let me compare it to a Canadian tire. Uh, if you've been watching commercials these days, you may, might have seen it. Canadian tire has just started a new branding marketing campaign. Uh, tested for life in Canada. Maybe you've seen it. And when I saw that, it actually appealed to me because I have had my share of winter-beaten garden hoses. Linda, my wife, gets annoyed at me all the time for leaving the garden hose out over over the winter and having to get a new one, and, and winter-beaten barbecue covers. And, and so this, this branding, tested for life in Canada, it makes me want to go there and buy the stuff so that I don't have to deal with these headaches anymore. Now, I'm just comparing that as something, this product that's been tried, tested, and true. And and that's what Paul's list is doing here. He's offering this list of eyewitnesses and in the courts during his time. This was the weightiest, highest evidence that you could bring to court. And it's not just one person, but 12. And then, the nail in the coffin, over 500 believers who saw the risen Christ in one place. Now, what I'm about to share, I'm being sincere, and it's not meant for shock value and all that, but I have friends who've shared with me about their adventures and substance experimentation, and, and they've told me when, when they've had group LSD trips and, and pursuing hallucinations, no one ever has the same hallucination. But it's always individually different hallucinations. Now, I say that because oftentimes a criticism towards this list is that, oh, they were just all hallucinating. But no, from, from a medical standpoint, from experience standpoint, this, this could not be a hallucination when there are over 500 people who saw this physically risen Christ. Now, what's the point? How do you account for a fledgling Jewish religious sect flourishing under immense, intense persecution from both the Roman government and from Jews to become explosive right after the resurrection of Christ. And then through the past 2,000 years to become the, the movement of human history from a fledgling group of 12 to over 500, and then over the past 2,000 years, over billions of Christians. How do you explain that? Unless Peter, the 12, more than 500 of these believers, and James, and the apostles, that they physically saw the risen Christ. And then beyond that, over the past 2,000 years, over billions and billions of people witnessing to a a real experience of the Spirit in their hearts and their minds and the enduring Word of God coming alive to them and this Gospel message making sense to them and giving them meaning and redemption in their lives. See, the point is, There was Peter, 12, over 500, and then all the Christians through history who received the Gospel. And every morning that they wake up, receiving again, not that Jesus is trying to run away from you, but because we forget. Our our hearts leak God's grace, but every day coming to receive again His tender mercies, His steadfast love. But what does this look like practically then? That's why Paul now says that we need to root ourselves, root ourselves in Jesus and his resurrection. Why do we need to root ourselves in him and his resurrection? Because life is full of storms. Life will blow torrential winds your way. And so we need to root ourselves and anchor ourselves in Jesus and His resurrection. That's why in verse 1 he says, The gospel in which you stand, the word for stand there literally means to anchor yourself, to brace yourself, to stand strong as if like a soldier ready to meet his enemy and stand up and fight against him. And Paul, I appreciate his honesty, his rawness, his candidness. And he explains, he describes some of his storms, his own personal storms in verse 9. He says, for I am, notice he's speaking in the present, I am, and what is he saying? I am the least of the apostles. He's being very honest, very self-deprecating, and at the least humble, But most profoundly, he has a clear, Windex-clean, rear-view mirror into his past. And so he says, I am in the present the least, and I am unworthy to be called an apostle. He is walking in the present with, with the present sting of his past. And so Paul, at the very least, he's... Being humble and, and and why does he feel unworthy? He goes on to be very raw and honest, because I persecuted the church. If you don't know Paul's story, only fifteen years, approximately fifteen years before he wrote this letter, he was hunting down Christians. He was arresting them and he was executing them. That's what he means by persecuting the church of Christ. He was a Christian murderer. And notice what Paul's past is coming in between. Paul's past was vying to come between him and his calling. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Now, you and I, we aren't called to be apostles. But we are certainly called. Our highest calling is is to answer the call of Jesus and His gospel and the call to be a child of God, but also in our lives as a child of God, He also has callings for us vocationally, in our relationships, in our roles and family as husband, father, um, wife, mother, brother, sister, etc. And that's what our past does, doesn't it? Our past tries to wedge itself between us and, and us running full force into our destiny in Christ. Our past... Shames us, guilts us, weighs us down, shackles us. So how can Paul be so raw and candid about his past? And he's not just mentioning this to to beat himself up. He was able to be so raw and candid about his past and and let his past be a ministry to others because he had a resource to deal with his past. And so, look what he says with his next breath in verse 10. He says, I'm, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. I'm the least. I'm a murderer of Christians in the past. But by the grace of God, Paul is rooting himself, anchoring himself. He is standing in God's grace, and today specifically, God's grace in Christ's resurrection. Paul has lived out for 15 years since Christ called him. His grace and Christ's resurrection taking his dead past, his deadness and sins, him being a murderer and forgiving him, growing him, redeeming him. And because he knows Christ is alive, that this risen Christ wants to work out a risen new life in him. That's why Paul can just be so raw and honest and now talk about his past story as something to encourage people who are struggling in their own present story. And so he can say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So let's all be honest. Let's all be honest today. We all want and need a similar hope as Paul had. We want to believe that by some power in your life. I know some of you are experiencing setbacks today. And you want to experience that setback being a set-up for some success in your life. You're hoping that there will be that redemptive quality. You're hoping that your promotion in life is right around the corner. That you're a winner, not a loser. So what about you then? How, How do you deal with The overwhelming, defeating voices and the discouraging voices of the past. Now, here's where Christianity and the world part ways. Overall, the world will offer self-help and positive thinking. Positive psychology and positive thinking would frown on Paul. Paul, don't focus on your past. Don't beat yourself up. Love yourself. Because when you love yourself then, and you think that you're a winner, then you'll give off that vibe to others and then others will, will think that you're a winner as well. But positive thinking, it, it ultimately fails on three accounts. First, positive thinking just basically whitewashes the problem. It whitewashes your past, your faults, and it doesn't actually deal with the real problem. And it gets you psyched up for that moment, but eventually the, the root problems surface again. Here's an example. And if you're like me, you've had that moment where you've said something that you regret, and in a tone that you regret. And then your excuse, your apology, your, your, your sheepish apology is sorry about that back there. That, that wasn't me. No, that was me. That was you. It might not be who you want to be, but that was you. Admit it. And so positive thinking doesn't deal with the real problem. Second, positive thinking, it has no answer for the ultimate twin negatives. Sin and death. And especially standing before Almighty God. When you stand before, I'm sure positive thinking might get you a certain distance in this life. But when you stand before those twin negatives, before Almighty God, sin and death, positive thinking will absolutely run away in fear and fail. And so third, therefore, sooner or later, but inevitably, you come to the end of yourself. And where positive thinking tries to find some strength within yourself, now you come to the end of yourself And you have to ask, if I can't save myself, if I can't ultimately find an invincible power within myself, then is there a power outside of myself that can save me? And so this brings us to our fourth point. That we need to daily repent. Now, I know that word repent, it it has baggage. Where Christianity takes on more legalistic form and, and religiosity. That word repent has lots of baggage. And I'm sorry for that. But I hope you'll see with me here that repent actually is a beautiful practice for the Christ follower every day. And so Paul says in verse 1, we begin to understand what he, he, he doesn't use the word repent, but he gives us the true meaning of repentance when he says in verse 1, by This gospel by which you are being saved. Notice, he doesn't say by which you were saved. Because yes, Christ died on the cross in the past. He paid for the penalty of your sins at one point in the past. But now Paul is saying that you are being saved. That salvation needs to work itself out in the everyday. And how? If you hold fast to the word that was preached to you. That, in essence, is repentance. Holding fast to the Gospel, to Jesus, and realizing that you need to be saved, that that you need grace to work itself out in you day by day, little bit by little bit. That is repentance. And so in verse 10-11, to Paul expounds on that, and he says, His grace towards me. I am what I am by His grace towards me. I want you to know today that God's grace is reaching out to you this very instant. And not only this instant, but when you leave our gathering today, when you go back to your life in the afternoon, when you go back to work tomorrow, when you are waking up and and looking for work tomorrow, when you wake up to whatever circumstances haven't changed, God's grace is reaching out to you. He has a grace towards you. And I hope that you'll say the prayer, God, help me to recognize Your grace in my life. The people that You're sending. The little words that You're sending. the the Just the message that You're sending. The, The sense of You in my heart, in my thoughts, my affections that that You are sending. The energy that You're helping me to make right decisions and move in the right direction. Help me to recognize that grace. And then at that point, the question really needs to be, will you respond to His grace? Will you cooperate with Him? And that's why Paul says here that God's grace to him was not in vain. And this word vain in the original language, it means fruitless. It wasn't fruitless. And so Paul here, he's, he's modeling what a genuine repentance looks like. And so he goes on to say, On the contrary, as God's grace towards me was at work, was not in vain, I worked harder than any of them. And then, almost like he's just flipping a switch, though it was not I. So he was working harder than... It was him making the choices and trying to go the right direction. But it wasn't him, he's saying, but the grace of God that is with me. They say that nothing is more obvious than what needs to change. But nothing is less obvious than what needs to change and how that change happens. I might have messed up the wording that nothing is more obvious than the need for change. We all know we need to change. But nothing is less obvious than what, what needs to change and how that change happens. So let me let me give you an analogy of just how this change happens. What needs to change? Just ask your spouse. <laughs> ask your best friends. <laughs> Ask just trusted people, ask your boss, ask your co-workers. That's the easy part. But how to change now? Let me offer you an analogy. True repentance, it's like farming. The, the farmer, or, or gardening. The farmer has his or her part to do. They, they plow, they till the soil, they break up the fallow ground, and then they sow the seeds. But then they need to wait on nature, God, to do his part to provide the warmth and the rain for those seeds to germinate to take root to grow and to bear harvest and so similarly for for you and me to truly repent we also need to do the hard work of breaking up wrong thinking identifying unhelpful habits and and breaking up the fallow ground of of those habits and and wrong thinking, and and then planting the seeds of gospel promises, of God's wisdom in Scripture, of holding on to that, thinking it daily, being reminded of it daily, receiving it into your soul daily, rooting yourself in Jesus and, and His resurrection daily, that He is actually able to bring dead things to life. And then to trust that the rain of God's grace, that He will pour it out, and day by day, even though day by day it doesn't seem like anything's happening, as the seasons pass, you'll have a testimony that, that God grew you. So respond to God's grace as He nudges you, convicts you to change. That's true repentance. So where's Jesus in all this? That's the roadmap. Be reminded. Receive the Gospel and, and Jesus' resurrection daily and root yourself in this hope that you have that Jesus is alive and He is doing a work to wash away your sin, to heal your brokenness, and to bring dead things to life because of the power of Jesus' resurrection. So how do we specifically look to Jesus with faith and His Gospel of grace today? I think we see it in Paul's insight when he says, I worked harder than all of them, though it wasn't I. There we see a little piece of the Gospel. It wasn't me. Yes, I was working harder, but it wasn't me. It was God's grace. Let's go back to positive thinking. Positive thinking says, you can do it. You're a winner. I did it. I'm a winner. And in fact, every world, every other worldview. Apart from Christianity, the, the, the gospel, true Christianity says that. Evolution says that. To, for you to survive as the fittest, you have to do it. Every other religion says you have to obey enough to be pleasing before God, and, and hopefully your good will outweigh the bad, and, and God will accept you. But Jesus and his gospel are beautifully and compellingly different. What does the gospel say? The Gospel says it's all God's grace. It's God's grace that sent His Son to die in your place. To take your punishment. It's God's grace to effectually move your soul. To want Jesus. To need Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. To look to Him as your elder brother. God's grace to motivate you, to empower you, and to grow you in Christ-like character. And it's God's grace to one day resurrect your body and soul. You will experience a literal resurrection one day. But the beauty of, of following Christ is that He takes eternal realities and He wants, to, wants you to experience them, to have a taste of them in your day-to-day. And though our physical and, and ultimate eternal resurrection is often in eternity in the day-to-day He wants you to experience His grace to resurrect your your dead heart, to resurrect just brokenness in your life, to bring healing and to give life and for you to grow. Let me tell a story that I'm hoping will bring it all together. If you haven't seen the movie from 1997, uh, Life is Beautiful, it's on Netflix and I highly recommend it. A Jewish-Italian man, Guido, and his wife and boy, basically they're, they're taken into a Nazi concentration camp uh, during World War II. And the story is mostly about how Guido lends strength to his son Joshua to endure uh, just the travails and, and the, uh, the, 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 the horror of, of the concentration camp. And Guido basically convinces Joshua that their life there is one big game to win the grand prize, a tank. And by my estimation, Guido looks like maybe four years old, maybe five. And so at one point, Guido volunteers to translate a Nazi soldier's camp instructions. The Nazi soldier can't speak Italian. And so Guido translates the instructions to sound like the rules of a fun game to Joshua's delight. You lose points for three things, Guido says. One, if you cry. Two, if you want to see your mommy. Three, if you're hungry and want a snack. Forget about it. And when the guard makes his exit, Guido translates the guard's parting words as, Sorry, I have to go so fast. Well, we're playing hide and go seek. And he walks over to uh, Joshua his son, and grins, I told you we're going to have fun. Now here's how the movie ends. Guido tells Joshua to hide in a sweat box. And Guido, trying to find his wife, Joshua's mother, gets caught by a Nazi soldier and is executed. He dies. But Joshua eventually comes out because the Allied forces were coming in and the Nazis were fleeing. And as Joshua comes out of hiding, it's in perfect timing with a U.S. tank turning the corner. And Guido, or Joshua cries out, It was true! I won! And then the grown-up voice of, of Joshua narrates, Now I realize the sacrifice of my father. But in reality, the the father had been killed. Here's my point. I have mixed feelings. On one hand, you're touched by Guido's optimism, his positive thinking. And I commend it. It is beautiful. His love and power to to spin life for his son in such a way that he believes he's a victor. But on the other hand, with his father dead, with Guido dead, what was the point? Life is very similar. We can positive think our way through life. And you'll get some ways. But we all necessarily and inevitably face death. What's the point of all the happiness in this world if it ends in an eternity under God's wrath and punishment? But oh, oh, the joys of those who are reminded daily, who receive daily into their heart, who root themselves in the storms of life, and who respond in wanting to turn to Christ and and let this grace work itself out in them to repent in the most beautiful sense in response to Jesus and His Gospel, which is Christ crucified and risen. As you look forward, as you live life with those lenses, that your destiny, your eternity is eternal life in perfect loving fellowship with God and His people. And those eternal realities, you you open up your life daily. Let those eternal realities break in and invite God's grace to be working to bring the dead things in your life to life according to His will. As we believe in and as we are living in jesus and his resurrection daily i hope that you experience a taste of his redemption here on earth and that all your days you'll be able to look back and say thank you jesus thank you for rising from the dead let's pray